Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Where can you get the best medical information anytime, anywhere? Right here on The Smartest Doctor in the Room. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Mitchell. Please note that this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended for personal medical advice. For that, please contact your healthcare provider. Now, all of you know, normally I'm interviewing some of the top doctors, specialists in the country, in the world. Today, we're going to do something a little bit different, but I think just as important. All of us are patients at some point in our life. Medical problems or injuries occurring through no fault of our own. Um, and up till now, we've had to rely on medical insurance to cover our bills. But I think I can speak for most of us when I say we're all very dissatisfied with our health insurance coverage whether it's high deductibles, denials of coverage, not being able to choose your doctor, not being able to afford the premiums, and of course, the unexpected bills when we thought we were covered. You know, the healthcare industry has changed dramatically over the last 30 years. You know, back in the day when I was growing up, you know, you went to your family doctor's office for most of your care, which a lot of times was like a little section of his home, and even occasionally he made a house call. Um, and then, of course, if you had to get some lab work, he would send you to the hospital lab for, a, uh, you know, for some bloods or a chest x-ray. And that, that's all changed. Technology has just changed all of that. Now, you know, insurance companies are having to cover CT scans, MRIs, laboratory testing, very extensive testing is now routine in so many doctor's offices. And medical bills really started to soar, as did insurance uh, premiums which has become a really vicious cycle. Today, my guest is not a doctor, but someone who is trying to make a difference so we can all afford to get the care and treatment without the fear of going bankrupt. He is Andy Schoonover, the founder and CEO of the company called CrowdHealth. CrowdHealth is taking on, and I'm gonna use this term very carefully, healthcare coverage industry in a big way. So I'm excited to hear a little bit more because I'm interested in joining how his company is working to transform this space. So it's my pleasure to welcome Andy Schoonover to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Okay. Uh, yeah, I've been fortunate, as Andy knows. Uh, I've listened to him on a couple of other podcasts, and we'll get into that later. They're mostly in the Bitcoin space. So <laughs> we're going to stay for in the beginning on really the key things. So, Andy, you know, healthcare is a unique sector of the economy and a unique business. I, I sometimes make the parallel. It's like the military. It's it's like an essential sector. Even, you know, when you think you don't need it, you want to make sure that you're hospitals are there, your doctors and nurses are available, as we saw with COVID, you know, it's not the kind of thing where, you know, it's like an on demand type of, um, you know, area of the economy, and it's expensive. Because uh, nobody wants their hospital to run out of medicine, or make sure that doctors or nurses, uh, they can't afford to pay them. So give us a little bit the 360 overview, and then we'll get to specifics of how Crowd Health is approaching this and explain if you can to the listeners what Crowd Health is versus regular um, medical insurance. Yeah, so I think fundamentally what we think is that we have a um, kind of a principal agent problem in healthcare where we've got 
an agent, which is our health insurance company, who's supposed to be negotiating really good prices for us. Um, and unfortunately, what is actually happening is they're incentivized to see prices go up because they make more money. And so if we have the buyer of, of healthcare, which is insurance companies primarily, um, and the the seller of healthcare, which is hospital systems, both wanting the price to go up, then the price is going to go up. Um, you know, you don't need to be an, an economics PhD to, to to figure that out. And so, you know, what we're trying to do is is not have the the buyer of healthcare actually be incentivized to see the prices go up, but to see the the, the buyer of healthcare to see the 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 prices go down. And so, the way that we do that is bringing consumerism into to healthcare. Um, you know, we, we have seen over time the the services that are healthcare like um, that are more consumeristic actually have significantly lower prices than than healthcare. Um, and so we we've seen you know dental, vision, these types of things. Like you don't have dental or vision bills that are a million dollars. It gets it's just unheard of, right? right. And so right. why not? Um, because who has ever providing those services know that the end consumer can't pay for that for can't can't pay for a million dollars and so they set up a price structure or a um, a cost structure to their businesses that allow for the consumer to buy the good um directly um, I mean, so I think that's a great point I think what you're really saying and I just want the listeners to be clear about it, is you're really talking about transparency because if people know in general, we're not talking about emergency situations. If you're going in for an emergency appendectomy, you're not going to be sitting there saying, okay, what's the price of my appendectomy? We'll, we'll get to that after. But for a lot of what goes on in, in medical care, especially in outpatient offices, clinics, mm-hmm. is what you're saying is transparency. Because I know I, I've been 30 years in practice and I've seen the different things. You know, Early in my career, everything was insurance. I took insurance. I don't take it anymore. And I'll explain to the listeners why after. But again, on both sides, people didn't care and it ran up the bills because patients would come into the office. They never, you know, I mean, again, it's not supposed to be an in-depth negotiation, but they had no clue mm-hmm. what their doctor was billing, you know, for testing because um, it, it wasn't coming directly out of their pocket. And doctors also were frustrated because they weren't getting directly paid. They had to rely on the insurance company who was going to discount them anyway. So I, if I'm correct, what we're really just saying is there's, in dentistry and some other areas in healthcare, again, which are non-urgent areas in most cases, mm-hmm. there's a lot more transparency because people want to know if they're going to be paying either out of their own pocket, out of a flexible spending, you know, or an HSA, they, they kind of want to know a ballpark. If they're going, I went to a dentist recently who was very good, you know, and they did a set of x-rays on my teeth and et cetera, et cetera. And it was like three, $400. But mm-hmm. if I had just gone in and say, here's my insurance and they billed my insurance $3,000, you know, that, that hurts the system. Yeah, sure. I think there's two components there. One is, is transparency. That's right. And I think that most people or a lot of people in healthcare think that transparency is going to be the Mecca of consumerism. But I think that there's another piece here where you not just need to know what the prices are. You have to care what the prices are. Right. And, and right now, if you don't care what the prices are, you know, like, let's go to the the finest restaurant in in town. You're in New York, right? And so let's go to the the finest restaurant in New York City, and you will order something different if you have to pay for it versus if someone else has to pay for it. True. And right now in healthcare, <laughs> somebody else is always paying for it. 
you know, we'll, look, we're, we're paying for it indirectly, but someone right. else is always paying for it. Right. Right. So that, and that's the health insurance plan. So all we have to do is lay down our card and, and just the insurance plan is going to pay for it. Well, we, at least we hope, think well, that's Hopefully. another whole discussion, Hopefully. which we're going to get to, because we can get to that. A lot of times right. they don't. And, and right. Okay. Let's, I'm gonna finish so my, my second, thought. my second thought on this though, is if I'm actually the one paying for it, let's look at some historical examples of things that I have to pay for that are healthcare like, you know, I said dentist and vision, but look, even cosmetic surgery, um, the cosmetic surgery, mm-hmm. if you were to, to make that a healthcare cost would be significantly higher than, I don't even know what cosmetic surgery costs, but it's significantly less, you know, like <laughs> sure. a, tummy, a tummy tuck, if, if, um, you know, reimbursed by insurance would probably be a $50,000 bill. Um, with all of the stuff that they yeah, have to do yeah. mm-hmm. in a cosmetic component where we have to pay for it. I'm assuming it's, you know, 20% of that. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, let's look at LASIKs, right? LASIK surgery um, has gone down. I think it was 83% over the last 20 years, mm. you know, and that is a, you know, a, a pretty as close to a medical procedure as you're going to get without being a medical procedure. Right. And so um you know, Lasix is is down 80% over the last 20 years, whereas healthcare costs, I think, are up like 3x or something like that over the last 20 years. I mean, it's it's a massive deviation of of costs for things that are are not too different from each other. And the primary difference is who is paying for the service. Um and so Go ahead. I, yeah, I, I think, you know, you bring up a really important point, which is one of the uh, trickiest parts of healthcare, and I almost said it in the introduction, is really, even within medicine, there's the difference between elective, as Lasix is, I mean, you can wear glasses, mm-hmm. or emergent, where you're going to an emergency room or you have a hospital, and you're really obviously not in a position to negotiate anything, which we'll get to later, what your company does, which is very unique. So I think that is the the tricky part of this whole healthcare coverage industry. You know, I think even insurance companies, they're they're whacking away at the premiums because they're saying, okay, you know, Doc Dean, Dr. Mitchell, you know, whatever, you don't see that many doctors. You know, doctors don't like to see other doctors, by the way. <laughs> but if you do have to go, we're gonna have to foot this huge bill, you know, or I've I've had ankle surgery in the past, which was twenty five thousand dollars. You know, and uh, we'll get to that later on because I want to tell my story. That was a mm-hmm. crazy story on two occasions. So, um, you know, I, I, we're, we're treading this fine line. I think you would agree that there are elective procedures where there should be a super amount of transparency, and and the and the public almost really demands it because they don't. If, again, if it's, especially if it's coming out of their pocket or their flexible spending, I mean, their money um, versus you know urgent. Uh, emergency care where that's not the option. And, and, you know, one other thing too, Andy, I think, you know, it's funny, you know, when we're talking about money and this and that too, also, honestly, most people too, really, they just want the best doctor for their problem. And that's something I think also that you guys tackle. And I know, you know, I was in a discussion with you before about this. So that's also something interesting too, because I think people are very upset when all of a sudden they can't go, oh, my doctor's not in this plan. I can't go to see him, even though I've gone with him for 10 years. He knows me. I trust him. You know, he's got a great reputation. They're saying, no, no, go to this guy across, you know, across town, et cetera. So how, okay, so, so we're talking about the problems in healthcare. Tell us a little bit about the model of crowd health, how you're approaching this, how you're trying to do this differently. Yeah. 
I, I think that, you know, what we're trying to do is, is again, kind of bring consumerism into healthcare. So make the okay. people who are actually paying this care what the what the costs are. And the way that we do that is, you know, instead of sending your premium to a health insurance plan, you put money into an account every month. We open that account for you when you when you start with us. And so instead of sending your thousand dollars to um, United Healthcare or Aetna, you're actually placing money and it's 175 bucks per person into an account. Um, that's your account. And um, we take of that 175, we take 40 of it for our subscription fee. And the remaining stays in there, accumulates over time, so that when someone in the community has a health event, that you have money in that account to then help them. So if Dr. Mitchell had a, you know, an ankle surgery, um, he with us, you get we would negotiate that ankle surgery for for you with the the orthopedic surgeon, either the orthopedic surgeon that you want, or a lot of times you don't know an orthopedic surgeon in your town. Mm -hmm. um, and so we'll find you a really good orthopedic surgeon that will do it at on average 50% less than what health plans would pay that orthopedic surgeon. We can say, we can tell you why here in a minute, but let's just say it's $10,000. Um, Dr. Mitchell would pay $500 and the remaining $9,500, we would go to the community and we'd say, hey, would 95 of you give Dr. Mitchell 100 bucks for your um, for his his ankle surgery? And they can say yes or they can say no. Um, but if they say yes, then $100 goes from their account to your account, and you ultimately will have enough money to then go and pay for your ankle surgery. Can I ask you one question? Because yeah, this is very interesting. So let's just say after roughly about a year, I was participating in crowd health at $325 a month, because I'm in 55 to 64 range. <laughs> um, so let's you look younger than that. Was that? Well, I, I said I, you look younger than thank that. You. Thank you. <laughs> I, I try to fake it. Uh, I don't know if you guys, if I get part, I have to be transparent. I can't like sneak through and try to get the $175 a month. But let's <laughs> say I had about 5,000 in my account by the end mm -hmm. of the year. Let's just say that. And let's say, now I'm curious how this works. So, okay, so you say you reach out to the crowd. So I assume I get some kind of messaging saying, now, do I now again with all the HIPAA and everything too? Do I know who this person is? Do I know what their medical problem is? Who I'm going to, um, you know, help obviously fund or no? I mean, is it kind of secretive? Which I, you know, to protect the privacy of the person. I'm just curious on that. Sure, you'll you'll get an email once yeah. a month, and it'll have the following information. It will have um, where they live. Okay. Um, the condition that they have that we're asking you to pay for. Okay. It will show you, um, we rate the bill. So if Dr. Mitchell wanted to go to the Mayo Clinic and get an ankle surgery done by a $50,000 doctor, whereas we have one locally that would, that's just as good and would do it for 10,000, we let you know that. Right. So you let the you, you let the person who's going to donate know that. Yes. Okay. We know that if they've been a a good consumer of of the you know medicine, and then we tell them also has Dr. Mitchell been generous to the community? So you know the last time ten times we asked Dr. Mitchell, did he say yes, 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 or did he say no, 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 no? So he, I sort people. of have a rating, or I have let me like let's say either five star or a seventy percent rating or something. Is that how it Correct. works? Correct. Okay. And so the, and the, and the, so the two rating systems, the bill rating system is to get, get you to sure. think about what the cost of this procedure is and not just go to, sure. you know, the, and then the other one is, you know, 
who who and is he is this person a good member of the community are they helping other people right um and so we found that those two rating systems has one incentivized people to shop sure. um 98% of the time for bills over $1000 our members have allowed us to help them find a low cost, high quality provider. Mm -hmm. um, we have also found that the generosity score has been effective in getting people to consider to give to, to Dr. Mitchell's ankle surgery. Um, and so because every bill um, that we had last year, and I think we had somewhere between 1300 and 1500 bills last year, everyone that got submitted to the community was crowdfunded by the community. So yeah, let me ask you this now too. So let's just say, we're gonna, again, we're doing this for easy numbers purposes. Let's say that surgery I would need is $10,000. Okay. Yes. Now I have, as I said, I've been, I've been doing crowd health for a year in this example. Let's say I have about $5,000 in my account. Mm -hmm. So when you go to the members, are you just trying to get the other 5,000? Cause the other 5,000 is going to come out of my account anyway. No, you, nope. you, we're only asking you to commit to $500 for but, any health event. So you, so you don't, you don't use any of your own money for, to fund your own things. No. And let's just say one other thing too, let's say during the course of that year where I, I guess I built up around $5,000, but so during the year I was generous and donated a hundred dollars here, a hundred dollars there. That, that does that move down my account in some ways? Or, I mean, so let's say, let's say maybe for my premiums, it would have been about 5,000, but let's say I have only 4,000 at the end of the year because I've donated about a thousand dollars over the course of the year to people in the community who needed it. Is that how that works? That's right. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So right now we're, we've asked for about I think it was, it's an average like 35%. So let's just say 40% to make the math easy. Yeah. So if you've contributed $5,000 over the period of a year, um, then we would have only asked you for $2,000 of the $5,000, which mm -hmm. means if you had said yes to every single one of them, you'd still have $3,000 in your account at the end of the year. And the cool thing about this is you can either put that $3,000 into Bitcoin, which we can talk about later. Yeah. Um, soon you'll be able to put that $3,000 into an interest bearing account or, you know, and when you leave anything in Bitcoin, anything in the interest bearing account, it's yours. So you could take that $3,000 with you. Right. And if you invested in, in I'm sorry. Bitcoin, yeah. So if you decide like after two years, like this is not for me, mm -hmm. you take what's left in your account. You got it. It's your money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this we is... actually actually never touch the the money. It goes from mm -hmm. your personal bank account to an account that we open for you when you mm -hmm. when you sign up. And so it's you're just transferring money between two accounts that are yours. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's how that that works. Um, and so it's 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 a very different model than sending it to you know the black hole of of United Healthcare. Right. Never, no, never no, I, I think it's brilliant. I, I actually, there's a couple of things I'm going to bring up because to give some of the listeners analogies, I, I had a patient uh, in Florida. It was really interesting. He was part of something called Christian care. I don't know if you ever heard of it. It's a very similar model. I guess but it was members of the church. You know, they, they started something like this and he was actually very pleased with it. Uh, it was just, you know, it made me think the other thing that sounds like sometimes too, honestly, but I know you're going to clarify this. It almost sometimes sounds like GoFundMe, you know, mm -hmm. which people are amazing in their generosity. They hear a person who's in dire need or God forbid has a cancer. I mean, so they, so to me, this is almost like an organized GoFundMe, but in a really good way, because it's like, you're using the good heart of people 
to help their fellow person because people mm-hmm. will do it anyway sometimes you know when you hear oh you know there was that singer that was on american idol i don't know if you know this but she was uh, i think her name was like bird lady or something i mean she was really incredible this young girl in her early 20s or 30s beautiful amazing voice had unfortunately metastatic cancer and i think had no health insurance and she was fighting for her life and she was trying to get a bone marrow transplant mm. and she was on american idol so obviously being after on idol i mean and she started to go fund page she got millions of dollars wow. to help pay for her care and you know i remember thinking about that and i was like you know look i i, I was so happy for this young woman and hopefully whatever help it could do to her but i'm like not everybody has that is that on tv then they don't right. know about their story and uh why can't we get this done yeah but everybody's got a neighbor or most people have got a neighbor right mm-hmm. we, we're, we're in communities we're in neighborhoods mm-hmm. um we you know what I, I what i think is you know back in the 70s um you know health insurance plans and government in many ways in the early to mid 70s have you know stuck themselves in between us and our neighbor where we're no longer responsible for the health of our neighbor. You know, hundreds of years ago, we were responsible because they That's were right. in our community. You right. know, like if our neighbor couldn't go plow the fields because they were sick, we would go out there and help them to, to plow the fields. Um, and so, you know, the government with, with you know, good intentions, I think, and insurance companies probably with good in- intentions to start have, have, have stuck themselves, wedged themselves in between us and our neighbors. And so we just don't know our neighbors as well. Like, I knew my neighbors way better 30 years ago than I do today because it was just a different culture. And I think that's a, a bad culture. So if you have a community of people who you know are in the same boat as you, like, hey, I want you to help me. I want to help you with your healthcare bills if something were to come up. It has a pretty powerful impact. Let me give you just one quick story. Yeah. We had a member in Tennessee, a 19-year-old girl, lost four fingers in a boating accident. Oof. Tens of thousands of dollars of bills, right? So we go out and we crowdfund this from the community. We tell the story and we had people come back and said, hey, I know you asked me for $100, but can I give $150 to this woman? Because mm. I feel for her. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a part of my community, even though I've never met her. And there's there's something powerful to that that I think that, it, you know, I, I kind of say it, it brings the, you know, love thy neighbor back to to healthcare. It brings the humanity back to, to healthcare. Um, yeah. And I it think that's is. an important part of what we of what we are doing. Um, yeah. And really, that that drives you know all that we do it at at Crowd Health um, and get the, our ability to get these bills paid. Is people are like, yeah, I, w- I want to help. I want to help. You know, it's interesting. You know, because like, as I said in the beginning when I did the introduction, you know, even as a doctor, I'm on both sides of this. You know, I'm a patient certain days, and I'm a doctor, obviously, when I go to my office. And I can say from the doctor's end also, I mean, we know doctors are very disillusioned with the system because what the system did was it initially hooked them in by, you know, here, you don't have to fight with patients. There's this thing called insurance. You'll get, you know, 80% of what you bill. You know, that was was the mantra in the 80s and the 90s. Then the cost, because I think of the technology, CT scans, MRIs, you know, more of the technology, the the bills were going up and up, but not like the real services, you know, your doctor's fees, you know, they, that, that was like probably within line. And then what the insurance companies did was obviously informing what called HMOs, provider networks, they started discounting the doctors more and more to the point where honestly, most of my colleagues 
are not in their own private practice like I am. They work for a hospital because mm-hmm. the hospital can handle the negotiations and all of that. But again, a lot of my colleagues are unhappy because even though, you know, there's a certain amount of protection, quote, working for the hospitals, they have to see more and more patients. There's a lot of bureaucracy. I mean, that's one of the things I love about my own practice. You know, I mean, I, you know, if I want to see a person the next day, I just tell my staff, get them in. You know, it's not mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm seeing 50 people a day that I can't, you know, make that, um, you know, make that change. So doctors are real unhappy too. I think they just want to get paid a fair amount for their time and not deal with, you know, 20 denials. I mean, I know even the other day there was, I had a patient, you know, cause I deal with allergy. I think I mentioned to you before too. Mm-hmm. I had this patient, he's 18 years old. He hasn't left his house in three years. Why? Because he has such severe asthma and food allergies that if he goes out and he eats the wrong thing or something in the air is bad, he goes into like allergic shock. So uh, I knew about a medication that I thought that could help him really bring, and he takes like uh, 100 milligrams of Benadryl a day. So I don't even know how he stays awake. So I, uh, you know, put in a prescription for medication called Zolaire, which is probably about eight, $900 a month. But I'm sure again, if someone like you guys negotiated with a company, you could get that down because it's not doesn't have to be a thousand dollars or whatever. And uh, I'm busy fighting with the insurance company. I finally was able to get it approved, but through a lot of work, you know, when I got another doctor on the phone and explained to them this situation, but initially it was all denials. And as you can imagine too, doctors became overwhelmed with this. They don't, you know, they can't dedicate staff just all day long trying to get approvals. So how would that work also too, by the way, let's, it helps me transition to this too. Let's say a patient does need a quote, expensive medication. You know, there are a lot of these biologics. I just did a, uh, a podcast the last two weeks on them. Um, let's say a patient who's got severe, God forbid, colitis or rheumatoid arthritis or, you know, needs one of these newer medications. How does crowd health deal with something that's sort of an ongoing thing? It's not just a one-off situation. Sure. I mean, I think there's a, a power in being uninsured. And I know that people like think of that word uninsured as being derogatory. Um, and we actually say we are delightfully uninsured because the Zolaires of, of the world, the, 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 the manufacturers, the pharmaceutical companies will actually negotiate with people who are uninsured that's true. Um, That's true. To 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 a, in a way that we actually are getting, I think it's like seventy percent better pricing than health plans on on these really expensive drugs. And so, within our framework, they are much much more um, reasonable than within the health insurance framework. Um, I, I I joke. So you so so somebody could get, let's say they could, it would be an ongoing funding, I guess, for this yeah, patient. Yeah, an right? ongoing because funding. They, mm-hmm. They're just okay. submitted to us every month. Um, you know, we don't pay the bills directly. They they pay the bills. Um, Who's they? The the the, 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 member. the member. The member. Yeah. And so we would we would if let's just say it was Zolaire. Let's say they have to pay dollars. Well, let's say they had to pay five hundred dollars a month for the Zol. Let's say you guys yeah. negotiated with them five hundred dollars a month. is still you know a lot of money for a medication for a sure. patient. Mm-hmm. So they would have to I guess either put it on a credit card or something, and then what's the turnaround? Or we could prefund it. We could prefund it. You yeah, so they that. would have money in their account before they would need the next, uh, you know, prescription. Mm-hmm. So that we could we could do that as well. If people will tell us that they they have a big expense, then we can actually go out and crowdfund it before they have the 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 surgery or 
the the prescription or whatever it may be so they actually have then the money to go and pay for it so let's just say you know you you tear your acl right and it's um you know we had a, a case here in austin just a few months ago um we got a quote from a doc it was twenty two thousand dollars i think something like that we got them from the local hospital we put them in the local surgery center um we asked the doctor if we paid him and if if the member paid them in cash if he would take a discount because then you get the money you know right away as opposed right, to waiting sure. on the insurance plan right, right there was no pre-auths there was nothing right, right um and so essence in essence what the member did is you know paid with a credit card at on the day of the surgery and got the surgery all in for like 10 grand as opposed to mm -hmm. 22 or 23 or whatever it was and so, you know, we can pre-fund that so that the member actually has that money before she walked into that orthopedic surgeon's office. She loves it because she doesn't have to front any money. Mm -hmm. um, the orthopedic surgeon loves it because they get the money right away. And as a result of that, we get, you know, significantly better pricing. And so if people will just let us know that they have something coming, then we can pre-fund that or crowdfund it before the actual, you know, surgery or event takes place. Um, and it saves them a lot of money. It, it saves the community a lot of money and everybody's happy in that scenario. Is there a threshold to, so you, as you were saying, you know, being a, a good member, you know, and, and being generous with the generosity score, but is there like a threshold with, let's just say, you know, somebody was not unfortunately as generous maybe, and they, they contributed one time, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and then they had a problem is if their thresholds don't, again, they're relying on the community to come in to help them. I mean, they could be out in the cold. Is that- They could They could be out in the cold. Yeah. They could, okay. And they're actually likely to be out in the cold. Okay, okay. So we're, you know, we're, we're a year and a half in, we're gathering that data, but you know, mm -hmm. what we're doing is supplying people with data that says, hey, you've only given three out of the last 10 times. Um, and therefore the probability of you getting funded is, 22 percent um and so it's it's not a guarantee i mean if you're, if you're okay. not given to the community it's not a guarantee mm -hmm. that's the one difference between health insurance and us um we cannot guarantee that your bills were going to get paid okay. although of the however many was 1300 something like that bills from last year all of them got crowdfunded um that were have been good good members all of them have gotten crowdfunded with uh and in contrast um in 2021, I think was the last number that we had uh, health insurance plans um, for on healthcare.gov declined, um, I think it was 18%. Um, it was something like 46 million claims were denied in 2021. You know, the health plans can say, we promise that we're going to pay your bills. But, um, you know, one almost one fifth of the time they don't, they'll deny it, you know, and that's why we have 250,000 families every year going bankrupt, even though they have health insurance due to health events. Um, and that's one of the kind of missions behind our our company is like, people should not be going bankrupt because they, yeah. they have a health event. Yeah, I mean, right. I mean, they, they always talk about that and about the unexpected bills, but basically not much is really being done. Let me ask you one other thing too, again, in the more dire circumstance. Mm -hmm. I mean, God forbid, you know, and I know I've had, you know, friends, or family members that God forbid they have like a, you know, uh, like a metastatic cancer or something and they need, you know, intensive chemotherapy, surgery. I mean, so you're talking about heavy duty stuff. Yeah. Can crowd health handle that? I mean, cause that, you know, these are big numbers. I, I don't even, you know, I'm sure even insurance companies are reinsured. I mean, I, how do you guys handle something like that? That could be several hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. So our, you know, our, our biggest one was a couple hundred thousand dollars. It was a brain hemorrhage they were in, mm. you know, 
um, neuro ICU, I think for 14 days or something like that, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And, and, you know, we, what we do is we go into the hospital on your behalf. Uh, We will negotiate that bill down. So we got that bill down by a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. And then we go to the crowd and crowdfund it and that bill got paid. So that was almost worst case scenario, you know, uh, you know, a a brain hemorrhage with some ongoing requirements, prescription drugs, rehabilitation, you know, all these kinds of things. And, and that was all taken, taken care of by the, by the community. Well, you know, it's interesting, the leverage actually you have a little bit, because let's, that, that brings up a very interesting situation. So a patient, let's say that's uninsured and goes to the hot, you know, gets admitted to the hospital and has these ridiculously, you know, well, you know, no, I would say, you know, um, you know, due to the care that they got, but let's say they got, they have a million dollar bill. And if, you know, they have no insurance, the hospital has to start going after whatever assets they have, you know, Mm -hmm. and that becomes a whole job and it becomes, and it's also not a, not a good look publicly, you know? So I guess when they, then if they were part of crowd health, you know, you come in and say, Hey, look, our patient doesn't have health insurance coverage, but we're, they're part of crowd health. Can we work on this? Essentially you're going in and saying, look, you're not going to get a zero or have to, hired a you know sure. team of lawyers to you know to bankrupt them to get some money back to pay the bill you're going to you know we're going to we're going to be paying some money here and they're going to work with you is that yeah. is that correct it, it, that's know? exactly right so yeah, interesting. Let's, just, let's just think you know it's a million dollar bill we probably could get that down to 250 200 wow. something like that wow um, all, most of the time, the hospital will say, hey, why don't you just pay us 20 grand a month for 10 months? Right, right. You know, we've got thousands of customers, so it's a couple bucks yeah. a month per customer. I mean, it's yeah. it's you you can take big bills like that and, um, you know, not have any problem. You know, I got told two or three weeks ago, I can't remember now, we haven't gotten a bill yet, but it was a NICU baby that was in the NICU for, you know, I think, I don't know, 15 or 20 days and um, didn't even worry about it. I mean, like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll get this. It's going to be a couple hundred thousand dollars, if not more. We'll negotiate it. We'll crowdfund it. It's it's not going to be a, a significant burden on on the individuals of the community. And and the, and the great thing is, well, here's the real great thing is the baby is fine. Um, you know, praise God. But two is the members like want to give to this. You mm. know, like yeah, no, I know. Hey, There's if I, definitely if I came some to you yeah. and said, Doctor Mitchell, I have a NICU baby. Yeah, who was you know X Y and Z happened. You're like, yeah, I want to help please, can I help? Like, right, so some because, of these, yeah, I mean, like, you know, some honestly, of these big ones are the ones that people want to give. They want to give to the big ones. You know, ones. So all, you have to, all you have to do is, I'm sure, you know, so many of our listeners, it's like, you know, I, I know they show these ads more during the holidays, but, you know, Shriners, Children's Hospital, St. Jude's, I give every year. I mean, you know, your heart goes sure. out to these kids. And, you know, it shouldn't have to be just kids that are in wheelchairs, whatever. I mean, everybody has a story. And, um, I, I think that again, with more personal responsibility, people doing the right thing to help their, you know, quote neighbor yeah. is, you know, I, I think what's going on and this is just a theory. I might be wrong. It's like, I think we, as human beings want to give, we want to be generous. We mm-hmm. want to help each other. Right. We don't want to be mandated to give to each other, right? right. Health insurance right. is, is right. Fiat. it's it's fiat. It's a mandate. Yes, right. You have to give to this person, regardless if they are good consumers or bad consumers. 
whatever. Well, right? like you know, taxes. Wait, yeah, yeah, I mean, Andy, what you're saying, I want the listeners to really understand this because they probably have heard this because this is what happens is that essentially anybody that has insurance is not only obviously if it's for their own coverage, they're paying for all of the uninsured, which is growing because more and more people are not working for companies now that are either providing coverage or they're, you know, they're the, the gig economy, they're doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. So, and that's why the hospitals jack up the bills because they're basically saying we have to charge an extra 20, 30% for you, you know, cause you have coverage because I got this guy over here in the bed next to you has got no coverage. And we're not going to get anything out of him without lawyers and everybody going after his stuff. So it is, it's like an extra tax that you're paying, you know, to be covered. And yet you're still not getting a lot of the benefits anyway. Well, let me, and, and, and all my people are uninsured. Right. And so, um, but the, the hospitals are getting nine cents on the dollar paid by uninsured people. Mm. Um, and we're giving them, 40 or 50 cents, yeah, right. you know? And so like we're, we're taking mostly uninsured people and giving them a, a, a way, a mechanism to help them pay for these bills. And so we actually think we're doing good things for the system. Um, right. Right. Because we're, 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 you know, these hospitals are not out 91 cents. Um, and in reality, like, look, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't take the dollar to, to, uh, to deal with these folks and to, to, uh, to pay for them. There's so much fluff in that. The hospitals have to relook at the way that they do business. These big, massive buildings that are worth hundreds of millions of dollars should fall. They should come down. There's no reason to do a baby and a a knee surgery in the same place. It doesn't make any sense. Like some of these things have got to be decentralized um, to be more efficient. And that's why a surgery center has a cost structure that's probably, you know, a third or a quarter of what it is at the local hospital. Um, and well, so, right. and, and as you probably know, too, you know, a lot of times even the insurance companies tell people, ask people to go to the surgery centers because they, you know, when something's done in the hospital, the hospital's allowed to bill at a lot higher level, you know, yes. to, you know, and, uh, yeah, it's yes. just, it's, you know, and, well, and this is what these hospitals are doing. You kind of mentioned it earlier. And I wanted to talk about this was these local doctors who have independent practices are getting squeezed out because insurance is doing two things. One, it's making the administrative cost wickedly high, right? Right. Almost so high that you can't. No, they can't, they can't do it. No. And then the second is, is that, you know, the big hospital systems, I live in Austin. We have two big hospital systems here. The hospital systems act like duopolies and oftentimes monopolies against the health insurance companies. And they said, even if you wanted, you know, the health insurance companies wanted to negotiate, they can't, but they can negotiate against the little doctor who, mm-hmm. you know, you know, United Healthcare comes and says, look, you can accept United Healthcare or not, but I'm only going to give you, you know, X well, minus, you know, 10% of what I paid you last year, you make a decision, you either go out of, out of business, or you take my, you know, take my, well, that's exactly what would happen is essentially what you're saying. They crushed the independent doctor, you know, who a lot of patients really liked that environment, and forced them to become employees at hospitals, which have more clout. I mean, because insurance companies are just an insurance company, they don't actually have the medical personnel. So the hospitals, you know, and, and there became monopolies, as you probably know, or duopolies in most of the major, even cities, let alone, mm-hmm. you know, remote areas. So, you know, it's just this battle that's going on, which unfortunately, nothing great is going on for the patient. You know, I, I think I told you this, you know, I wish I could have shown this visual, but I was at a uh, medical conference years ago, 
and it was actually somebody from the healthcare industry came and they put up a slide and it was a picture in the OR, you know, it was like a cartoon. It was a mm -hmm. picture in the OR and there's the, you know, of course the OR table there and there's a whole bunch of people in green gowns, you know, huddled over the patient. But in the, in the cartoon they had in the back, hospital administrator, insurance uh, agent, you know, so, and all of a sudden the surgeon was like in the back of the crowd of, of, around the table. He was like toward the back, like peeking over, you know, where obviously he should have been right at the, uh, right at the patient's bedside. Yeah. Well, I, you know, it's, it's one of these things where, you know, insurance companies are, are, are the ones that are, are impacting independent docs most. And the primary reason why independent docs are getting selling out to these hospital systems. So, you know, if an independent doc negotiates a rate, I'm making up rates, you know, $100 for a primary care visit, the hospital's rate is $150, right? And so sure. those rates go from 100 to 150. The independent doc will send somebody for labs or imaging to the local lab and imaging, you know, group, which will charge you $100 for, you know, a full panel of blood work. The, the doc in the system sends their patient to the the lab in the system and then they pay, have to pay you know three or four x that just to get the same exact thing so these systems are built as that systems they want to keep you in that system you know and and the most expensive words in in, in healthcare is go down the hall right because you mm -hmm. know you're going down to a place that is owned probably by the same hospital system as the doctor and it's going to be massively more expensive than if you were to you know go to an alternative so we try to to support those those independent docs as most as we can we don't even really try to negotiate with them like we know that they they they're need struggling. to get paid a, yeah a right they're struggling rate. they're trying they're trying to keep you know there's so many you know i get a lot of the medical journals you know the even the one called medical economics and you know i read so many of the stories like so many of these doctors you, you really wouldn't believe it they sometimes they're in their 30s or 40s or sometimes their 50s and they were you know the older ones were in independent practice then they had to join a hospital then they got so disillusioned they opened up their own sort of direct payment model with the patients they just don't want to deal with the bureaucracy they want to give, be able to spend time with mm -hmm. patients they these are good people that are just beaten down by a system you know i wanted to ask you and one everybody thing. wants to blame the docs too it's like oh well, well you know, these docs, like, they, yeah. well, they, they make so to. much money and yeah. da, 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 da. it's like look eight, yeah. eight percent of our healthcare costs go to, to go to to the practitioners eight yeah. percent yeah, right like, this I, is not i believe you that cut, you could cut the docs you know salary by half and you would only cut out four percent of the cost yeah. and that would be you know penny wise pound foolish and so this is not the docs. What this is, is, is the insurance plans are spending 30 to 40 cents on a dollar of billing and, you know, so, authentication and all that kind of stuff to save probably five to 7% of fraud or overuse or something like that. I mean, it's, it is just burdensome on the system. Um, you know, good intent, reduce fraud, but you know, it, you can't spend $3 to make, you know, 50 cents like that. Yeah. That's what our system is doing right now in terms of, of the billing and administrative component of healthcare. I want to ask you another angle on this, because this is the way I'm looking at it. And I want to, I'm going to mention a couple of things, but, um, cause I know that you've gone after the uninsured market, which is a huge market, unfortunately, and growing. But what about also even as a secondary coverage, you know, for example, let's say there was a Medicare patient. Okay, so they have Medicare who negotiates fees with the doctors and the hospitals, but 
you know, there are a growing number of doctors that are not taking Medicare because the fees are so low, mm -hmm. you know, and so they want to go to this particular doctor or, um, or, you know, again, too, but, you know, they're, they're paying sometimes for a secondary Medicare part, A, B, C, D. I don't know any of these things yet, but it's, you know, it's another thing. Would crowd health be open or are they doing as a secondary coverage? Uh, even for a person, well, I'll get to that. Even for a person also that has maybe a very bare bones insurance plan where they're getting denied or they, you know, getting so little, you know. Yeah. So a couple of things there. One is we think somewhere between 10 and 20% of our members also have health insurance. And so they're uh -huh. using this as kind of a, like a backstop, a, a backstop, a yeah. backup. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in terms of, of Medicare, you know, Medicare has got these crazy rules where if you, if, um, if somebody is eligible for Medicare, um, then they can't pay cash uh, for a pr procedure that Medicare then will reimburse for, um, or, you know, mm. let me say this again, if you have Medicare, you, you can't pay cash for a service that, uh, Medicare reimburses for. So in essence, the doctors are in this position of saying, okay, well, I can't accept cash from you if it's, this is reimbursed for by Medicare. If you have yeah. Medicare, I don't want to go through the administrative hassle of figuring out whether or not you have Medicare. I don't want to be dinged by Medicare. I'm not taking any cash from anybody 65 or older. Is that well, in essence what happens? Yeah. Um, is it, but I think there's something there. What you're saying though is like there's there could be something supplemental to Medicare. I mean, I think these supplemental Medicare plans, everything I hear about them is they suck. They're like, horrible. They're people, people, people switch back as soon as they can to quote regular Medicare, not the you know, the one that's, you know, Medicare Advantage, or whatever. But what I was thinking is this, because again, you'd be surprised, you know, again, maybe sometimes I'm a little bit more established positions, but even myself, I don't take Medicare anymore. So again, and I'm outpatient, so I'm not in a hospital. So patients know when they come to see me that they will have to pay out of pocket, hopefully reasonable fees. And so again, even though they have Medicare, if they have to be hospitalized, their hospital bills will be paid. But if they want to see a doctor that's opted out of Medicare, they could use crowd health. Sure. If the bills, you know, so again, if they, let's say there was like a surgeon that they really wanted to use who says, I'm not taking Medicare anymore. I mean, cause I know this is even my, my orthopedic surgeon. He, um, I mean, it was ridiculous. They were paying him, you know, for a five hour surgery, like $1,100. I mean, a, a surgeon's not doing it for $200 an hour. I mean, you know, he's got 30 years experience. Yeah, sure. But, um, but again, so, but if a user says, okay, look, I want the hospital bill to be covered by Medicare, you know, let them, you know, deal with that. But I want to pay my, this guy who will, won't take my Medicare. And that's a growing thing in a lot of, you'd be surprised in a yeah, lot totally. of areas where people want, you know, the best care so so you say yeah, I mean, I just talk to somebody that. yeah i just talked to somebody this morning literally had coffee with her as a doc who works for a big health insurance plan medicare advantage and said it's this is so terrible that y'all have to come up with something i said hey i'm i'm interested in, in thinking through how that works but we haven't quite figured it out totally yet so it's mm. it's on the um the the roadmap to figure out i just haven't figured it out quite yet yeah all right the last part to finish this up i'm gonna bring this up i just didn't want it to cloud what the really important work I think you're doing, but um, I may have mentioned this you know, on podcast before, but I'm definitely a Bitcoiner. I, you know, sure. I, I got, uh, as they call it, orange pilled a few years ago. Um, 
I think the whole movement is really interesting. I know people are very afraid right now because they are confusing cryptocurrency with Bitcoin, which I think is special and different. But mm. I'm just going to tell the listeners what's been going on for myself personally. So I'm sort of interested in this. Like, I, after my experience with my surgery, my, that last surgery where they didn't cover, you know, like roughly about $10,000 of my care, uh, I said, gosh, I wish I could have like a backup or something, you know, something to help me in case I'm, you know, I'm in trouble because, you know, again, I want my doctors to get paid who put their work in, et cetera. So up for now, I have a very high deductible. I pay 6,000. I have a $6,000 in network and out of network coverage. I pay about $20,000 a year for my coverage. So you can imagine uh, United Healthcare Oxford has never paid, never had to pay a bill of mine yet, fortunately. <laughs> so I, but also what it allowed me to do was keep an HSA, a health savings account, which some of the listeners may be familiar with. So that's where I get to contribute money. It's almost like an IRA. It grows. Well, I shouldn't say it grows. It, I, I can contribute to it every year. And then what happened over the last couple of years, I was contributing, I forget how much it was, like $7,500. But it, it was just sitting there doing nothing. And again, I'm a big believer in Bitcoin. I know it's had a lot of its... You know, it's gotten wild lately, but I, I, you know, doing a lot of the research into it, I think it is going to be valuable. So I had to do my homework and I found a company that I could actually fund my HSA in Bitcoin. And I'm keeping my fingers crossed that I think it's, you know, hopefully it's going to really um, increase in value over time. And that was going to be my hedge, you know, to let's say God, God willing that the $7,500 that's sitting here today Maybe it'll be worth $15,000 three years from now, which a lot of people think is very possible. That's going to help me, uh, you know, if I had a, a major mm -hmm. medical event that I had to use my money. Mm -hmm. But you maybe want to explain to the, the listeners why you're involved with Bitcoin, uh, you know, again, in this kind of industry. What's sure. your uh, angle on this? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that if you think about the way that health insurance plans work is you, you send money to them, they hold it in this big pool of capital it's held in dollars, that dollar is getting less and less valuable by the the minute, you know, right. I, don't, I forget, I don't know what it was last month, but something like 7% inflation, yeah. it was at eights and nines before that. And so not only does, you know, the insurance plan have to charge you more as a result of just the the structural inflation that has been happening for the last 50 years in healthcare, but they also have to charge you more because the 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 uh, value of that dollar that they're holding in that big pool of capital is going down. Sure. And so, what if you could hold that pool? You know, your it's your individual pool. It's not a big pool, but it's a you know little kitty pool. Um, right. <laughs> in Bitcoin as opposed to in dollars. So you know, you and I both agree, and everybody who holds it in Bitcoin agrees that Bitcoin over any kind of intermediate term is going to go go up we think yeah. um it's a scarce so, asset so we'll it's see a scarce asset yeah exactly and so those people who believe that will want to put their money into something that's just not just sitting there no, um, no. they want to put it in something that will go up so right. let's just say bitcoin is at you know, say let's say 20,000 20, 20, right 21 something like that today um if it goes from 20,000 to 100,000 and you have $5,000 in in bitcoin right now then you know, that will go up, you know, I forgot what I said, if I went 20,000 to 100,000. So that was 5x, if you 5x it, yeah, 25,000. And like we said earlier in the show, when you leave, you get to take that with them. 
you know, ultimately you get to take the we, Bitcoin with you or just the dollars? Yeah, you get amount. to take the Bitcoin with you. Wow. You get the Bitcoin with you. Wow. Or, or the other thing too, is we're allowing you to do, and this is going to start in February, but if you don't want to put it in Bitcoin, you can put it into an interest bearing account. Um, so you can kind of bank yeah. it in an interest bearing account. And so you can take that with you when you're, when you're done. Yeah. Ultimately, my my dream, but I can't do this right quite yet, is being able to bank that in um, you know some kind of you know HSA, right? I, that's yeah. what I want to do. Mm -hmm. um, but right now, you have to have a high deductible health plan right. to be able to have an HSA. Mm -hmm. And I, from everything I've heard, that you know, folks in Washington are trying to change that. Like anybody mm -hmm. can have an HSA. We think I think anybody should be able to have an HSA. And if they actually do yeah. that in DC, then any money that is not spent during the month for the community is then banked in an HSA, you know, in Bitcoin or in dollars. And then you can use that money if you want to for your health expenses, or you can just let it ride. Um, you know, I think the probably financially prudent thing to do on the HSA side is to let it ride because the tax consequences of that are fantastic um yeah. so we're working on that hsa component that's cool i just mm -hmm. need some folks in dc to help me with that um and it's a pretty kind of small regulatory change that i think would have a pretty big impact on our business all right well okay well andy to finish up i i want to thank you for taking the time coming on i know you're busy running around getting the word out there uh, i'm rooting for you hard i i think this Thanks. is going to be a great <laughs> thing where can we send our listeners who want to find out more about crowd health and decide if they want to join yeah, joincrowdhealth.com is the best place to to go. Um, if you're into Bitcoin and you're interested in learning more about that, then go to crowdhealthbtc.com. Um, we're on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok and Facebook and all of those. And all of those are under Join Crowd Health as our, our handles. And so come check us out. We have some good, sassy, healthcare-related stuff on Twitter specifically. Um, so we'd love for you all to to uh you know follow us and, and and interact so um thanks again for having me on your show it's been fun yeah one last thing too i was telling yeah. i was just telling somebody today about crowd health and they were like fascinated but the guy was a very smart guy he said to me he goes make sure that guy has some security you don't want the insurance guys going after him yeah <laughs> I mean, well, you might need secret service <laughs> i i talked to somebody very well known in the bitcoin space and he's like you know one thing i don't go after is healthcare because I have seen people knocked off <laughs> going after going after these big I mean look there is a there's a lot of stakeholders out there that have a lot of money and a I lot know, of it's money. right it's, and so um yeah I mean know. The, we know from big pharma so yeah big pharma especially yeah all right thanks Andy this was great and uh uh for my listeners if you enjoyed this podcast please let us know you can go to my uh Instagram uh, at the smartest doctor in the room and let us know and uh, I hope you found this of value.